Welcome to the Underscore Transformation Podcast. My name is Joe Ailes. My name is Jason West. And together we're the founders of Underscore. This week's episode is the second in our bonus mini-series. Their focus is on the future of work and the impact that the global pandemic has had on organizations already dealing with seismic changes in the workplace. Last week, we were joined by three special guests, Mark Whedon, the International HR Director at Zwara, Steve Hunt, Head of Talent Acquisition at City, and Richard Phelps, the Management Consultant and Co-Founder of the Human Times New Service. And they're back again for the second part of our conversation. Last week, we discussed the rapid disruptive change brought about by the pandemic and organizations' response in the first few weeks of the crisis. So, Jason, what have we got coming up this week? This week, we're focusing on the medium to long-term changes to business brought about by COVID-19, its impact on mental health, the effects on society of rapid digital transformation, some really practical tips for managing video conferences, how businesses are starting to repurpose their real estate, and we touch on the skills that HR professionals will need to best respond to this new world that's emerging, and frankly, a whole lot more. It was a really interesting conversation. No, it really was. We closed out last week's episode with Richard considering the cultural impact of this sudden shift to remote working, uh, the increases in productivity that have been seen, and what it means for where people can live and work in the future. I was keen to understand from Richard what the impact will be on teams delivering products and services to customers remotely, and whether we will see the world reverting back to the way it was once the crisis is over. Well, my, my view on that, Joe, mm. is we, we won't because I think competitively organizations have worked out that digital is there are huge advantages to it. And if you get mm. the right people and you need to train people to become more digital, to take cost out, to become more effective. Um, yeah. So I, I personally think it's, it's, it's here for, to stay. You know, it's a big, it's, it's almost like it's one of the major challenges for, for mm. HR and leadership is to question how digital are we doing? We need to become more digital. Mm. How do we do that? Who's got the skills? Have we got everyone skilled up? Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a, also society from a society perspective, a broader issue now, because it's clear that, you know, there's 30, 40 million people unemployed now in the mm. US, and I'm not even sure how many here. For those who are not digitally trained, they won't be able to get back into the workforce, you know. Mm. Um, mm. So I, it's clear, I mean, for me, and from everything I've seen and read, I mean, that is, you know, we've, we've moved now um, 10, 15 years into the future. Um, mm. um, and organizations have got to adapt to it. It's going to be difficult because I think some, you know, we all mm. like what we did in the past. Um, you know, um, and if you look at the organizations that have, you know, as we know, people look at the NASDAQ and organizations that are performing better now, mm. they're all the ones that are actually um, adapted you know, more to te more technology mm. driven and, and adapted more quickly. Mm. Interesting head, isn't it? It's an interesting one mm. from a societal impact perspective. Uh, there, there's going to be a lot of disenfranchised people potentially if if we really truly have seen a very permanent shift into the future by five, ten, fifteen years. Yeah. Uh, just how you how countries, societies deal with that is is uh, going to be a a, a, a pressing issue. I um, think that's right, Jason. Yeah. 
how much have you seen that you know uh, is anybody thinking about this that you've you've kind of seen reported in the press or anything like that at this stage or is it still very much focused on dealing with the here and now Jason I think that there is there's a lot more pressure on you know I think that there's different markets here the big I mean a lot of people on this on this podcast there from big corporates so you know the big corporates are in a good position to to retrain people and also to mentally look after their staff as well. And we think there's probably more pressure now on corporates to do the mental health stuff. There's a I think, lack of trust around government more generally at the moment, you know, in the last few years than there has been. Um, but there's no question that this is a, a big, big new area. It's not so much new, but there's huge amounts of suppliers coming into the market providing apps um, most organizations now have got you know chief happiness officers or wellness officers um, and they they have clearly become much more important over the last two or three months you know organizations are now trying to work out how they measure the level of mental health issues they've got uh, you know how they look at people individually as well as collectively a lot of technologies emerging around this uh, you know particularly apps that are, are kind of people are, uh, are using you know, obviously, people are working a lot at home. Um, there's lots of stresses at working at home, uh, and organisations are, you know, are, are having to to deal with that. I mean, I'm you know, I'm sure we, we're all aware that um, what I've seen from eight, in eight, eight, eight HR functions is that quite a number of them have got a lot more during this pandemic. That there's been a lot of focus on you know providing for, you know very practical terms you know regular calls to individuals to find out how they're coping and kind of call-ins with you know uh, with with individuals who they see as high risk etc so you know it's all stepped up the mental health side of things um there was essentially an awful lot of discussion about it before but now it's almost certainly one of the biggest topics there is yeah i, I agree with richard i, I think yeah, the one thing this crisis has done is put mental health very much on the agenda. And you know, like you said, I think during this time, engagement is absolutely key. Um, and at a time when you're pushing everybody remotely, it's, it's, <laughs> it's all around how do you make sure people still feel connected uh, despite being so dispersed. And so some of the things you know, at a practical level, which we've been doing as a business, for example, is um, I think as Steve mentioned it earlier, you know, we, we've had a weekly leadership call both at a global executive committee plus one level down uh, plus also regionally we have uh, weekly leadership calls just for business updates and uh, you know how things are going and just checking in uh, we're a big user of slack so all sorts of slack channels have popped up now for you know working remotely and sharing best practices around that both for, for managers who, who manage remote teams but also just a general slack channel homework where people are just saying hey this worked for me it might work for you and then there's, uh, you know, particularly the outset, I think people are getting a bit tired of it now, but particularly the outset where you've, you've lost the social dimension to work, there's all sorts of virtual stuff happening where we are trying to replicate that social angle. So, you know, we're having virtual pubs, virtual quizzes, virtual coffee mornings, you know, virtual desert island discs, you know, all that sort of stuff's been done. Um, but I, I think it's important because there, there needs to be an acknowledgement, um, and again, I think Richard alluded to this, that... Yeah, there is now more than ever before a collision between work and home life. And yeah, that is causing problems. So how do you provide a support infrastructure to deal with this? And yeah, it's always pretty fortunate in the sense that we already had a, you know, a reasonable infrastructure in place. So we've always had a employee assistance program, for example, through workplace options. And, and yeah, we've been promoting that very heavily throughout this pandemic. Uh, we have a long-time subscriber to, to LinkedIn Learning, and they've got a number of courses around remote management. So I know those courses have been downloaded even more times. 
Um, and we've just subscribed to a mindfulness app, which, which, which has got sort of a thousand plus hours of content around how to maximize your sort of work-life flexibility in, in this particular, particular environment. But then aside from that, it's, it's, it's kind of taking your cues from your leaders and, and, and you know, what they're doing. So you know, various leaders around our business, and these are being adopted you know, across the board. You know, when you're scheduling a meeting, hey, do you need that meeting? Because everyone's getting very tired of Zoom and that's impacting mental health. So, uh, you know, be careful around what it is and who's invited. But when you are scheduling it, you know, schedule it for 25 minutes or 55 minutes instead of half an hour an hour. And that, that builds in mini breaks, mm. making sure you build in exercise, make, making sure you have an hour off for lunch, setting a start and end to your day rather than letting it drift at the end of each day. We are starting to do Zoom free days now. So, you know, have this you know wednesday next wednesday zoom free day for example in some some areas yes. and as an organization um every month since the pandemic started we've had a the, the executive committee said right we're having the next friday off so there's been a monthly friday off just to enable people to recharge their batteries and, and the amount of positive feedback we get just saying you know christ i needed that day off <laughs> for a you know, three-day weekend um, okay. And then the, you, you've got to manage the mental health as we come out of this as well. So what we're doing is reassuring people that as as we come out of the other end, um, you know, particularly with regard to any office reopening, um, yeah, we're, we're providing reassurance that any reopening we do is, is, is going to be very much considered. Um, and by the way, you don't have to come back to the office. So if you want to work from home indefinitely, then that's fine. We'll, we'll go with that. And I think that's provided a lot of reassurance that people can choose to flex how and when they work, basically. Mm-hmm. Mark, I, I, what you're saying makes makes absolute sense. I, I, I'm sure that this is going to become a critical area for for organisations to get right, and HR functions should be right in the, in the thick of it. To the extent that, as you say, you know, you've got it's very nuanced. There are different types of environments that are going to, going to be helpful for different different people in different circumstances. As, as Steve was saying, you've got little young people in their 20s will need different support to you know, um, older people and people with families, et cetera. But this is all going to be about how you really get the best performance out of people, especially as, we're, as in my view, there's no question we are, this is not a temporary situation. We're, we're moving to a more of a remote world. I mean, my guess is that from what I've seen is that, you know, we're probably looking at maybe thirty percent of people going back to work. Um, I mean, already many organisations are talking about not needing so much office space and the office space that they they have. They're talking about making it different, having not having places for individuals to work, but it's just making it more for meeting meetings for teams, etc. So, you know, this is is going to be a, this is a critical area for organisations to get right now. And it does seem to be a lot more um, just mentally taxing being on Zoom calls all day rather than being in back-to-back meetings for some reason. I, I don't know why that is, but it, it's uh, there's something about the uh, uh, the kind of the, the the continuous video conferencing that does seem to be a bit more mentally taxing. Uh, Jason, I, I totally agree with you. It's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, we, we're only just getting into this, and I guess the but you know, as as Mark was talking about that that there will be best practices for this. How should people behave? How long should the meeting be? What should be the protocol? Uh, except, I mean, it's, you can see great things coming out of this, but at the moment, no one's everyone's trying to work it out. 
Yes, and I, I, I really like your point, Mark, about the you know shorter meetings give people space. Um, we've seen it in our uh, in our training business in that you know we uh, had to take you know, day, two day, three day long courses and then break them down into no more than an hour of webinar sessions because people just cannot cope with any more than that. But the upside is that you can fit a, instead of having to send someone away for two days, they just fit an hour here and there around over a two week period, and they get to digest the learning in between and then go and apply it in their day job. And actually, some of the learning outcomes have been much better than if you'd sent somebody off for a two day course. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think you said there's almost an element of learning as you go along. Um, so, yeah, we had a, a quarterly business review, which is normally a day off in a nice city somewhere, um, which kind of lasts eight hours. And we said, oh, we'll just do it over Zoom. So we had an eight-hour Zoom call. Christ. And the learning was, <laughs> we're not doing that again. <laughs> so our next QBR, we're actually breaking up into hour-long segments over a three-week period. Mm. So you, it, it, there's an element of if you try it, and if it doesn't work, you adjust it. Mm. Yeah. So Steve, work, working for a, an international, a multinational organization, you, you must be the king of Zoom by now. How, how have you found it? Well, actually, we, we didn't have Zoom to start with. We have our own uh, conferencing uh, technology, which um, yeah, as, we, as we scaled up that infrastructure, um, we were doing a lot of phone calls to start with. Uh, and then, it, and then it's, uh, it's, it's moved into Zoom. So, so yeah, that sort of changed over time as well. But, but actually, what I was thinking about as, as everyone was was, was talking was I think there's a there's a very strategic HR challenge to, to to what we're facing, which has been a perennial issue for for HR, which is capacity planning. You know, resource planning in the business, but also thinking about that from from the HR function in this situation. You know, when we were hmm. discussing the the various challenges at a personal level, you know, what what is productivity? You know, how do you size productivity? You know, I know from a from a TA perspective that you know it's one of the easiest areas, of course, to capacity plan because you can you know apply a lot of metrics to it. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, how do you size the different availability of your employee base, bearing in mind all the factors that we're now coping with? And so I think that plays into when you start thinking about you know how you work, you know how you communicate, you know how you make things effective. I think that's you know that's going to be a major challenge, and and I do think that talks to all the issues that we're you know that are on the table here. When you think about things like location strategy, for example, and the type of skills that you need, so I, I think that's something that you know needs to be front and center. You know, as we start to probably change the design of certain parts of the organisation. Yes, yeah. That we know that generally, right? It's a it's a skill that uh, that needs developing within within HR. Steve, I I'm totally with you on that. I mean, the the whole workforce planning piece now moving forward is is, is critical. Understand, you know, this simple stuff, but it, it you know looks as if we're going to have a bit more difficult time economically. So, what is this? You know, what what are the issues here around costs now? For example, I mean, people. I mean, there's all sorts of questions that need to be answered. You know, what are the skills we need for the future? People's roles, will will they change? Do we need as many people? What about the digital? If we bring the, you know, all the remote working, does that save us a lot of money? Um, do we need all, all those things? And that hasn't really been talked through. And I think at the moment it's kind of interesting because there has been a whole mantra about people before profits. And it's almost, you know, I've read quite a lot on this, there's, there's a, almost an embarrassment at the moment to make money. So, it's, you know, we've got to put our people first, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that's, I think as we get into this more difficult period now where furloughing things stop, stops being 
you know, in place. And you know, the, the, it's it's going to you know there's going to be a lot of questions about you know, organisations, some of the ethics around getting rid of people, and and you know what what is the purpose of an organisation as well, which HR really needs to be thinking about. The, you know, the, the, is, it, is it all about delivering shareholder value, or is it? Is it more about you know? There's a lot of talk about sustainability, more 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 of a green culture, green environment, etc. Giving stuff back to the to, to the community, which I think organisations are, are thinking about a lot more now as we come through the you know the next into the next phase, really. Yeah, and when it comes to making those difficult decisions around size and shape of organisation, potential restructuring, and and all that side of things, uh, to to Steve's point, your kind of core unit as you kind of do your normal resource planning is your FTE. But those FTEs used to be fairly consistent. They, they generally, you know, people working eight hours starting at nine, ending at six or whatever. Um, now, the that kind of working day just doesn't quite exist in the same way. And people might, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, work to a certain number of hours or, you know, potentially do we perhaps start moving more towards uh, an output focused uh, engagement with, with people is, is that a potential outcome of this that uh, we go back, back way into the past where people are paid for what they produce rather than um, uh, for, for the time that they spend in the office. I think in the, um, you know, the first instance, you, you just need to gauge employee sentiment around that. And mm. we've run a couple of surveys. So one is part of our normal quarterly pulse, uh, where we ask people around how they felt that we were dealing with the crisis, for example. And as we're starting to reopen offices, we're also surveying people's opinions around how much productivity has been impacted by homeworking, what their appetite's returning to the office is, what they want to be doing going forward, etc. And what we're finding is that a a significant majority of the respondents are saying that homeworking is, is not impacting my productivity. Um, so yeah, that's kind of 80% plus actually in most cases. Wow. And, you know, in the return to office surveys, which we've done so far, and this excludes the US, which is our home territories where our HQ is based and where most of our employees are based because we're not starting to open offices there at the moment. But across the in Asia Pacific where we started to do this, you know, 70% plus of employees want to retain flexibility so they want they're saying yeah by all means we open an office but i want to still be able to choose how i work and and you know the office will be a drop-in center for me rather than a you know a permanent location so yeah, i think that's fascinating that you know, you know that you're getting that feedback because that's very different to what the view of people working remotely was before in many organizations you know it was viewed as well you need to be in the office a few days a week working from home you know, if you really need to, fine. But but that's totally changed. It will now, I think, totally change. I mean, it, to the extent that most people will want to work from home or have it's almost so much, but so much wanting to work from home, having the right to work from home, and or and also having the right to go into the office. So it's kind of their choice. listening to the underscore transformation podcast if you'd like a few more tools in your crisis management kit bag why not visit underscore hyphen group.com forward slash cmr toolkit to hone your crisis management skills lead your organization through recovery i think what the crisis has shown is is 
very rapidly you can change an organization and it, it doesn't fall apart. Mm, exactly. <laughs> so there was this suspicion about remote working in the past. Uh, you know, leaders are almost, there are some leaders who are thinking you've got to be seen to be trusted or I, I don't mm. know if you're doing a good job unless I can see what you're doing sort of scenario. But in the last few months, what we've been able to demonstrate is you can work from home, you don't have to be visible, but you're still being productive. And so I think yeah. that that particular gene is out of the bottle now, and I don't think it's ever going to mm. be put back in. What, what's the impact going to be on uh, the one I worry about is innovation. It, you know, you've you've alluded it to, to it, Mark, that you're, you're contemplating or you've actually offered, you know, extend uh, permanent working from home for people that want it. And some organizations uh, are, are already kind of in, in that space, as you've mentioned earlier, you know, how, how, how do they deal with you know, the, those kind of water cooler conversations? And uh, when you can't physically get people together, how do you kind of drive that innovation within a business? I think the innovation has started already. So I think the moment we shut the office down or offices down, that's where the innovation started. It started with a lockdown, basically, because you had to re-pivot the way you're thinking. You had to rethink about how you engage with people. You had to redesign how you're hiring people, onboarding people, learning and developing people, managing people remotely, and so forth. So you know, for me, the, the innovation has already started. And what the crisis has done is kind of accelerated stuff, which has been blabbed about for a long time in the HR press. Yeah, And we've seen more progress in the last three months on some of these things than we have in three decades, frankly. So, mm. um, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, it, it, it's not a case now of, of let's think about this innovation. It, it, it's kind of out there already. It's, it's, it's starting already. Yes. I, I agree with that, Mark. Um, you know, I, I, this has proven that a lot of the older thinking has, you know, things like pr being in the office, you know, need, need to be seen, need to kind of appear at these various functions is not really necessary for productivity. Um, but in terms of innovation, I think it is an interesting one. I, I, all of the, you know, the academic research would say that, well, this is the old academic research, of course, but would say that in order to get innovation, you need to get people, people need to, to meet physically, you know, and, and, talk about things you have to have working groups etc that that's that's changed it, it may be that that's actually was never true but I, I suspect i mean what i've seen organizations are now starting to as i said earlier on restructure their workplace to have more areas for people working together as teams as there were a number of them the, the banks have talked about it recently in the press um and it may well be that you've got to have a mixture of people, you know, on these kind of innovation or work teams working physically and, uh, you know, face to face and, and also remotely. Um, and it, I guess it may actually help organizations to get more people involved in innovation than, than before. Well, never waste a good crisis. Yes, exactly. And, and and remember, the lack of an office doesn't mean you can't meet. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. We've, we've got people in countries where we don't have offices, but if they want to meet up, we'll just say book out a meeting room somewhere in a hotel or, or whatever, and, and you, can, you can still do that on an ad hoc basis. So the ability to, to collaborate, because there's, there's always going to be a human need for face-to-face -face stuff going mm. on. Mm. Um, you know, that, that, you, that's not going to be removed. I, th I think what this crisis is accelerating and you know, Zora not alone in this. This comes out through my HR network too. We've had a call about this last week. Is that the what it does? It what it is doing though is just causing people, causing organisations to think about their real estate footprint and what is the role of an office. Okay. So instead of being a place where you are more or less there permanently, you've got your allocated desk. 
it's more of a drop-in center and it's a collaboration hub as opposed to anything else. Yeah. Mm. And Steve, from from your perspective, have you started shifting focus onto how you use your, your kind of footprint across across EMEA? I think everyone is is thinking about that, but I think we've been very clear that you know we are an office based company that has mm. you know, some flexibility, and I, I think I think for the size of organisation, the, the city has got so many different levels, so many different types of jobs, and we've you know as I said, we've built up that credit by uh, by working together. And collaborating together, uh, you know, over a period of time. So, I, I think we, you know, we will remain an office-based company, but you know, we're we're looking at you know, what it means from you know every uh, you know every lens. Really, I, I think yeah, you know, we already had flexibility, and we you know we clearly have the uh, the ability to to work successfully across borders. So there's already a remote <laughs> nature to that. But you know, we've, we've proved over the last few months that we can. Uh, successfully serve our clients, uh, you know, and and keep uh, you know our employees productive and, and happy, um, you know, through a very difficult period. Um, but but I think it's it's yeah, a lot of the things we're talking about, uh, I think, are becoming very real because many many employees will feel that well, I've been you know very successful working from home, and I think I think you can't can't forget the very personal nature of these things um, if you think about someone who's commuting into london uh, and is no longer paying you know five thousand pounds for a season ticket um, and getting three hours or four hours back a day you know you, you can't underestimate what that means to someone personally uh, and it's it's particularly uh, important at, at different levels so so i think there, there is going to be um, generally you know in the market when i think about hiring is these things are going to become much more important to to candidates in, in terms of you know their uh, you know their decision making and i think companies are going to have to respond to that so we're thinking about all of these things as an organization as i'm sure I'm sure many are uh, and i think it's going to change over time Steve, just on that i mean i think customers are going to expect things very differently which is going to also impacts on the way that people are managed. Um, I mean, well, I was reading, and I have been reading quite a lot recently about the financial services industry and the use of uh, robots, you know, customers being much more comfortable to use um, bots you know, when they're coming, calling and asking questions. So I, you know, I think customers are, are getting more, more used to getting service through technology uh, than ever before, and they've been forced to a large extent, you know, everyone working from home or in this pandemic to use remote services. Mm. So that will, that will, that's going to undoubtedly question organization structure because uh, customers will, will be less used to or will be more accepting of not doing what they have in the past to, to receive products and services. And also, you know, they're probably going to want, I mean, more of a personal thing, really, but probably going to want higher quality service. I mean, I'm sure everyone on this call on this podcast today has has, um, been doing a lot more cooking. Um, I personally been an awful lot of cooking over the last three months and I've realised how, you know, (laughs) how much much it costs to create something which is actually quite good quality. And I I feel quite sorry for the retail business or the, the restaurant business because... You then you then start to re- you realise you know when you you go and go back to restaurants that you're you're expecting the quality levels to be much higher than you've been producing yourself. So so I, you know I think there's going to be all sorts of interesting impacts not just from the work you know but customers are going to be demanding different things now. You know there's been that that change over the last three months 
uh, not just for the customers of the HR function, but customers of the whole of of, of, of actually organisations like financial services customers, etc. Yeah. And as we're moving out of this kind of survival in phase into more recovery and rebuilding, what are the kind of main priorities that, that you see that the uh, that organizations need to have around their people? And there, there was a recent Gartner report that said 64% of HR leaders are prioritizing employee experience as they think about the the return to work. Um, But what what other demands are there? And is it right to put employee experience right at the top? I think I mentioned this earlier. I think engagement is absolutely key with businesses coming out of this. And and, the first question which should be asked whenever we're looking at you know, redesigning any process or introducing a new initiative or whatever is 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 you know exactly exactly that. What is the employee experience going to be? The role of HR and all of this is 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 going to be critical. So as you said, we're coming out from this particular crisis, and now it's all about trying to rebuild the business. You know, the the spotlight that's putting on the HR function to make sure that you know the employees are engaged and have a you know good experience through this is is absolutely key. So. From an HR point of view, being able to understand uh, you know, what the language of the business is, you know, mapping our strategy to the plans and priorities of the business as it emerges from this, being an ally and support to our leaders. So you know, having a, an appropriate balance of you know, supporting and guiding our leaders, but also challenging them and, and holding them to account for the changes which need to be made. Um, you know, that's an important balance to, to, to maintain. Uh, we've talked about culture already uh, a number of times. So our role in being kind of the culture custodian, for want of a better term, um, and being very mindful of the fact that it's taken years and years and years for it to be where it is today. And given COVID's been such an accelerator, just making sure it's it's not denuded or destroyed in super quick time by doing by any by an appropriate misstep, for example, is, is, is going to be key. That means as a HR person or an HR organization, we need to be you know, appropriately opinionated. So particularly when it comes to matters on our turf. So if there's engagement issues, communication issues, motivation issues, and so forth, um, all the stuff around employee experience, you know, we, we should be making sure that we are having our voice heard. Part of that is is <laughs> I go to uh, you know, not just put people at the centre of everything, but, but also keeping things simple. Mm. Um, I think that the, the danger coming out of this is there might be a um, you know a tendency maybe to overcomplicate things. And I think at this point in time, uh, you know, people want to keep things simple. I, I mentioned earlier that you know one thing COVID has done is is it makes you concentrate on what is absolutely core to the business, particularly when it comes to learning and development content and things such as that. So it kind of cuts away the fluff. And so we need to, to use this as, as an opportunity to do that. And then ultimately, you know, the, the, the credibility of HR always lies in its ability to deliver. So just making sure we maintain that strong orientation to getting stuff done as we help our businesses come out of COVID hmm. um, is, is, is absolutely key. And, you know, part of that, then you get down into your capabilities around planning, prioritization, project management, influencing, all that sort of thing. So we're, we're, we're likely to see then uh, an increased demand for things like user experience designs, you know, broader solution design, change um, in a project management within the HR function um, from as a result of what's happened. But 
it, it's always been a bit of a challenge is is finding HR professionals with those kind of skills. And uh, do, do you see that as being an increasing problem as we kind of move move into this kind of recovery phase? I think it. I think it will be, Jason. But the HR has to be right in the thick of things. It has to be really, you know, in, in the. In, in, there's an expression in the room where it happens, you know. Um, yes. It's the Hamilton thing. It's got to be there right in the thick of things now because all of these issues are people-related issues. Now, we know from all the surveys that we've done as HR professionals that HR is pretty lousy at project management, for example. So I think there will be, a, you know, there are, there are, there is a shortage of HR people who are who, who can deliver this type of performance. Yeah, I, I think that's actually... I think it accelerates what is a, a very well understood <laughs> trend, which yes, exactly. Yeah. Increasingly, you know, HR needs. You know, Jason's talking about using his arm. I think you know, marketing skills um, across uh, across a number of different areas, project management, business analysis. Uh, you know, all of those things talk to you know operational excellence, data driven decision making. So you know, that's. That's obviously a shift that HR's been going through for, for a period of time. But I, I think the interesting the interesting trend, and I've seen this a lot in my own organization, is increasingly we're bringing people from different parts of, of the business into HR to, uh, you know, to address that. Um, yeah. So, you know, you'll get a lot of uh, a lot of skills in areas like business offices, for example, um, which will have a focus on uh, you know, areas like resource planning within a business. And a lot of those types of individuals have a lot of transferable skills that I think can benefit HR. So, uh, my actually my EMEA head of HR is actually a, a, an ex communications professional. Um, so, you know, I think that's a really good example of it. But, but I, I think yeah. that's, that's something HR needs to do a lot more: is hire people from uh, you know different different parts of uh, of organisations to you know have a more diverse uh, skill set. With the, um, to, to kind of Mark's earlier point, with the amount of innovation that businesses have, have kind of had to drive, um, that's, that's resulted in wholesale changes to business strategies overnight in, in a lot of places. Um, so there's, there's been this really big demand on the whole organization, but particularly on HR, because a lot of this has changed regarding people. Um, the backdrop to that, though, is... We're all severely constrained from a, a budget and a cash flow, particularly perspective, uh, even even in industries where kind of revenues are broadly held up. So we've seen a lot of capital projects being paused or cancelled, and lots of business transformation programs kind of mothballed for a period of time. So as as we get to something that looks a bit more stable, um, how soon do you think organizations will start thinking more about, well, what's our long-term reconfiguration? How do we, how do we best move to whatever this new abnormal is? You know, uh, basically, when does the focus shift, do you think, more from the kind of zero to three-month planning horizon uh, you know, further out? Yeah, so from Zora's perspective, that there's always been a long-term plan to increase our annual recurring revenue from $200 million to, to a billion, and we haven't lost sight of that. Um, I, I think what the, the crisis did was make the shorter-term planning horizons, which we have just that little bit more shorter-term, yeah. um, but the, the usual quarterly cadence we have around um, our sales cycle, um, you know, that, that's very much firmly back in place, but we, we had to make adjustments along the way because... 
you know, obviously COVID has has, has, an, has had an impact on the wider market. So, um, you know, the pipeline, for example, isn't what it was a month ago or two months ago because other customers or potential customers are just putting off their purchasing decisions um, until they've got a bit more certainty around, you know, what, what they are doing. Yeah, the, the, the long-term piece is, is always there. I, I think the main thing from a professional point of view is for us to understand what we can do as HR leaders to help our leaders get back onto the front foot. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity at the moment to, um, you know, there's also chat about HR never being at the top table, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is a unique opportunity to get there. And, uh, you know, it's through what Richard was saying. So it, it's, it's getting to understand, you know, what the business is about, what the priorities of the business are. From a practical point of view, that means us as HR people facilitating those conversations, you know, what are the midterm, longer term plans? Um, you know, in our business, we, we launched objectives and key results uh, back in September. So all of the HR business partners are trained OKR coaches. So being able to go into the business and facilitate objective key results sessions, facilitate business planning processes, all that sort of thing. Um, again, it, it's a great opportunity we should um, take advantage of. Equally, we should also be mindful around challenging the business as it comes out of this around culture, org design, cost base, real estate, you know, all the other bits which, which we've we've talked of and then understand how that impacts HR and just making sure that all areas of, of HR from the moment you bring somebody into when they choose to leave, that you know, we've com- done a complete overhaul of, of all of the HR processes, ways of working uh, um, to, to make sure it, it's kind of fit for the new world. Yeah, just building on what Mark says, I, I totally agree with it's an absolutely critical and golden opportunity now for HR HR professionals to get right into the thick of the the planning process for the future mm. and to ensure that the people elements are are very well covered. Um, you know, there there are there are huge implications for organisations of the people side, you know, one we haven't talked about is training. Mm. Um, you know, we are in a very different world now. You know, our customers want to interface with us in digital training. I mean, a huge area of behaviours. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a huge opportunity. But you know, my, my view is that you know, every HR function they have to be right in the thick of it. If they're not, then they're not. Going to, it's going to be a, a very poor result for the organisation because they yeah. won't get the best result. Yeah. And what was a fantastic opportunity becomes a threat to to the HR function in That's that organisation. Yeah. yeah, and and Steve, from your perspective, has the uh, has the has there been any change in kind of that long term strategic projects? The or is it just the the here and now that's changed? Yeah, I think I think it would. It would I mean, obviously, you know, with, with the type of organisation that uh, we are, you know, our focus on clients is absolute and that hasn't changed. Obviously, this is a health crisis and, you know, we've been through major crises in the financial markets before, of course, but, but financial services is a critical industry in terms of uh, seeing us through this crisis. So, of course, our clients' needs, uh, you know, have changed uh, dramatically in some cases and, you know, our, our yeah. priority has been responding to that. Gotcha. Yeah, this is a, a podcast focused on business transformation and very much practical advice for people that are bringing about change in their organizations. So what would be the one thing our listeners should really focus on from a people perspective as we adjust to this new normal? So if I go to you, Mark, first, what's your view? 
it's putting employees at the center of everything which you do. So as we seek to reopen offices, it, it, it's engaging with the people to understand their sentiment around how they've felt about remote working and what their views are around where and how they choose to work from going forward. Fantastic. Thank you. And Steve? Yeah, very similar. I mean, we have we have a sort of mantra, which it's, um, it's not the date, it's the data. And clearly, as the situation develops, that's going to guide uh, the decisions we make uh, in, in opening offices, uh, in the amount of people that can come back to those offices. But yeah, very much making that a, a, a personal choice for, for a number of employees. And, and the situation will evolve. So I think you know, how we respond to that um, will be very much being uh, in our employees uh, front and centre of the decisions that we make uh, based on the data. Fantastic. Thank you. And Richard, to you. Similar, really. Um, I mean, HR has got to be right in, right, in, right in the middle of the making sure the employee experience is... Uh, is fit for purpose yeah so i think that mm. kind of focus on employee experience and putting employees front and center is a, a great place to bring the discussion to a close uh it's been fascinating and I'd, I'd like to thank you all for your insights and contributions thanks it's been good thanks jason thank, thank you. you okay fantastic so these past couple of episodes, we've been focusing on HR's response to the pandemic, the stresses and strains it's placed on the HR function, and the opportunity it's presented for HR to take a real leadership role. Now, we've got a couple of weeks break coming up, um, then we'll be back in early August with another expert panel to consider what the new demands being placed on the HR function mean for the HR profession and the skills and capabilities that they will need to develop to best respond as we move into a period of recovery and rebuilding. So remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on this upcoming episode. As ever, if you found this week's episode useful, please share this podcast with your colleagues. And why don't you leave a review? Your feedback is always welcome. Thank you for listening and stay safe, everybody. 